Blog Talk Radio. Show Stephen Brandt. I was going to name this. I was going to have a real cool name for this, but you're listening to the only Western New York soccer podcast there is out there. And once again, as I said two weeks ago when I was hosting, we are thinking of putting an Indiegogo campaign together. I would, I would love you guys to like our show and retweet our show and tell us you like it to give us the idea that you want to sponsor this show because I we're coming up to a point where. We want to make this bigger, and we are only doing this for really you guys. Keith and I talk all the time, and we could we could talk about soccer to ourselves, and I can write about soccer, but I want to bring this better for you. So if you guys want to sponsor our show, get a hold of us. He's Keith Kokinda on Twitter. His last name is exactly how you say it. It's spelled exactly how I say it, and I'm Yellow Card SCP. Please get to us, because we want to know if this show is if you guys really want to hear us um, continue past October. Now, there's no really no drastic need. I'm not going to pull a Jason Davis. God love that man. He, he's, his whole past <laughs> soccer this morning, I, I, know you, I know you took it the PG way, but when I saw what he was posting, I'm like, oh, dear God. This could, this could go into a whole degree of weird. Um, I'm not going to pull. A, I'm not going to pull a Jason Davis on this and say that if we don't get funded by October 1st, we're done. But it's a thought. It's it's a it's a thought by either October 1st or or the start of the year that there's going to be there's going to be some drastic changes to this show. And I don't want it to get that way. But if you guys want this show to continue or want this show to grow, get to us. We're very reasonable people on air, and we, we will always listen to anybody. Coming up, we have we have someone from the yeah, new... Speaking, speaking of drastic changes uh, out there, we've got one that you might not be aware of right now. Uh, on the line with us is Dan Trader from the new American Soccer League. If my buddy will just cooperate and get him off mute, I do apologize. Dan, there, your mic should be open. Dan, yes. welcome to the Yellow Carter Podcast. And thank you for having us on. Yeah, Dan, well, we had to come on on a kind of a last-minute uh, schedule change. Uh, originally, we were supposed to have we were supposed to have Matt Driver on the show, but he got uh, called into a very important meeting that he really needed to attend for the good of your league, and that league is the new American Soccer League. And uh, you're putting a different twist on the American uh, soccer landscape here, Mr. Trader. Uh, something that uh, has been bandied about by MLS. Don Garber has admitted this has been uh, discussed informally, but you're going to actually go ahead and do it. How is this going to work? Tell us all about it. Well, the American Soccer League uh, was the brainchild and is the brainchild of Matt Driver, like you said, and uh, he definitely wanted to be on here, but as you said, he got Kyle into a new uh, into a, a meeting, so he couldn't attend. I'm the commissioner, and Matt asked me on board um, probably six, eight months ago, and from that point, there's been a lot of um, things that have been happening. But the premise of our league is that we're going to run uh, the European schedule basically August through November and then March, April through June. 
with the premise of promoting and developing American players. And in that part of that promotion is that we are going to try to represent them and get them onto pro teams across the world. So as we do that, then there'll be transfer fees and that that are associated with it. And that's really the premise behind it. We're going to have them in our camps and in our training, and we'll be able to prove that and then do the true European model. Now, uh, as far as you talk about developing players and being able to uh, sell them to European clubs, do you feel that uh, the sched- running the schedule, the same schedule that the European leagues do, uh, is a better way to do it uh, as far as developing the American players concerned uh, to line up with their schedule? Yeah, it, um, it does a couple things with that. It also allows if a relationship was developed with a particular club to possibly rehab some players as they need to move around to get them fit at a professional level and keep them fit for when and if they need to be called up or move to another club in another area. Now, of course, you're going to go, you're going, uh, mostly, I believe you're going to be, you have clubs uh, mostly up in the northeastern part of the United States, correct? Yeah, our starting is, we are in Region 1, if you know what U.S. adult soccer is, but it's in the northeast, and we have eight teams starting with the, we're constantly getting inquiries, so we fully expect that to to continue and grow for the following year. We, our next planned expansion is into the west coast and it'll be in similar numbers and then eventually we will move it across and we'll be a full national league the what we need to do is make sure that we stay regionally focused so that the teams don't go broke trying to travel you beat me to that question steven your turn now yeah obviously as we we were reading about this you brought back the asl name now Trying to do this the European European schedule, being in the Northeast, what kind of tri- what kind of um, problems is this going to face? I mean, someone looking at this saying, "You're in a big you're in a big area with with differing um, climate." I mean, wh- have you been able to ease some concerns among your among your teams with all this? Yeah. Um- just in, for those that don't know, I'm actually from Arizona, so um, I'm, that was my biggest concern as to what's going on. But the reality is that there is always weather, no matter where you are. Uh, those times when and if the snow comes in early, we'll deal with that as we need to, whether it's postponed a game or whatever. But we feel that we'll be our, our final game in the fall schedule is over in the beginning of November. Uh, the teams are playing now, and they do usually play through October and November in their amateur leagues up in the Northeast. Obviously, the further north you go, the the more shaky it is, but we feel that we'll be able to make that work, and we will adjust as we need to in the following years. Now, are you looking when you – I know you can't really speak too much of this, but are you, you look like you were in some really – you have some good – stable basis for your team. Uh, what was your what were your criteria for a team like somewhere like Buffalo? I mean what what would you say if 
a t- guy came to you and said, we want to be part of the, the ASL, what would you what would you tell them to, I mean, they would have to bring to the ASL for you guys? There's actually, it's a kind of a twofold thing in that respect. But first, we're going to look for the foundation of the club. Um, how are they associated? How are they affiliated and formed? Is it more than one or two people who are putting together? Do they have a front office staff? Do they have relationships into the youth organizations, or do they have a youth club behind them? And along with that, one of the things that our league, the ASL, is going to do is we're going to help promote them in doing more for that. We're going to bring together ideas for learning how to uh, promote for sponsorship. We're going to work with them when the players actually get notified that they might be going overseas. We have a FIFA agent who's one of our members on the board, and he's going to help negotiate a lot of those contracts. So we're, we're going to be tied in with them, but they are independent businesses. We just need to make sure that they are financially solid. Now, um, you were saying about American U.S.-based players. Now, you, you, you were just, you're interested in the development of the United States type of players. Are you finding that finding these players are a little bit easier than people would suspect? Yes. Um, and while we're talking about that, we're not totally American, but we will limit the number of foreigners on the pitch at any given time to three. They can have more on their roster, but they cannot have more on the pitch during the game than three. And we do that for the same purpose of trying to make sure we have good relationships across the board. But there are a lot of players out there that are no longer uh, college eligible. Maybe they've graduated. Maybe they've signed a pro contract and come back and lost that eligibility. But they are out there, and so far we haven't, uh, I haven't heard of any of the teams having difficulty coming up with them. Well, Keith, back to you, man. Yeah. Um, you, the other thing that, uh, that I, I think is a challenge for this league in terms of the schedule is, is with the media. Obviously, you're in the Northeast for now, uh, but you, you said you plan to expand to other areas. But with the media, you've got a lot, you've got a lot more going on. You know, MLS, for the most part, Major League Baseball is most of it for the majority of their season is about the only thing they really have to compete with as far as the other major sports are concerned. I mean, yeah, I know the NFL is a 24-7 thing, but for the most part, it's all, you know, the, the, the spring of the summer, it's about a few mini camps, free agent signings, that sort of thing. But you're, you're starting your season, you're going to be able to go up against the, uh, the bulk of the NFL, a good portion of the NFL season, the uh, start of the NBA, the NHL season, the Major League Baseball postseason. Likewise, on the back end, you've got NBA and NHL going into their postseason, uh, as well as baseball starting up, and the NCAA men's basketball tournament. What do you do as league to, not just because of the schedule, but to break through that and, and get and get the uh, the awareness out there for your league? How do you break through all of that that's all going to be out there in the sports calendar? Uh-huh. You're, you're bringing up a lot of uh, important 
topics, and that's with any amateur or semi-pro organization. You always have oh, that yeah. bias out there. Uh, we know that's going to be the issue. Uh, we're also dealing with college, of course, but the what we're going to be doing is trying to rely heavily on social media, a lot more so in the beginning so that we get our word out. We know we're a, a startup organization, and until we can provide a lot of proof that we are actually going to be around for a while and doing all of the things that we're going to do, it's going to be tough to get anybody to look at us. But if you look at the people that are actually involved with the organization and the teams that are coming on to the organization, they have stability. And that in itself is going to be one of the things that drives us to the media and lets them know that we're just not a, a Sunday league that plays in a park someplace. Well, well, you mentioned two factors that I think have been a big help as far as uh, MLS is concerned, and that is the, the stability and the social media. You look at MLS, for a bit, 20 years, they've been pretty stable, especially when you compare them to such as like the North American Soccer, the original North American Soccer League. You've had two teams folded up, and you've had two franchise shifts. That that's the it for you know that's really one of the big things that, uh, to me. One of the big stories about MLS as far as how they've made it so far, uh, how they've made it to this point is the fact that they have been so stable. But you mentioned social media, and Steve and I talked about this a lot on the show how. Social media has made such a big difference uh, from a fan's perspective in terms of helping to drive the narrative and making the mainstream media aware of the soccer fan base out there. Uh, you know, the big thing to me during the World Cup was a columnist uh, from the Indianapolis Star who was a known soccer basher. I remember reading him in Cleveland back in the 1980s. And he wrote a surrender column. He says, hey, we tried. Those of us in the old school media, we tried for 30 years to bash the sport every could to keep it down and keep it from succeeding, but guess what? We failed. It took over. It's come over anyway. It's mainstreamed out. Social media was a lot about it. What do you do specifically in terms of you're going to, what are you going to do, I should say, in terms of social media uh, in regards to you know, getting the word out there to, to the fans uh, who will be uh, coming, to your, coming to your games or, or watching the games? We've got two avenues, and I'm not as well-versed on these as uh, Matt would be, but uh, Matt Ansbro, which is uh, the one who is helping develop our webpage and be part of our social media aspect of it, he was very involved with getting the Philadelphia um, area up and running on social media, and we're going to rely on his expertise a lot. Another avenue that we are just starting to go to, and although it isn't finalized yet, we, we believe it will be very shortly, is during the matches we're going to be um, promoting and, and having a basically a social media event to the fans where we're trying to get them involved into the game through questions and answers and that through through a program that's being, that is developed and we're going to utilize. I, I don't have all of the particulars on that, but it's more to get the fan involved in the game right then and there, and then hopefully retweet that out or resend it out to other people as it moves along. And what about you know the big thing you talked about is the development of the American player? Uh, are how are you going to? What's your target as far as a player pool is concerned? How are you actively seeking players, and, and do you have players who are trying to find you in terms of? As you mentioned, getting that opportunity once their college eligibility has expired and finding people are coming to you saying, hey, 
the other leagues will give me a chance, will you? Yes. So on our website, which is aslsoccer.us, for any of the players that are interested in finding a home, you can fill out there. Also, teams that are looking for a place to find a home, you can fill out the information there. So it's, it is a shift. I mean, in the past, if you look at it, the college was our proving grounds. And then with the NASL and the USL Pro 2, that relationship starting to grow stronger. You mentioned the World Cup, and that's obviously foremost on everybody's mind, but it becomes quite evident when you watch our team against others that are in the premier level, and you realize that we don't have a very deep squad, so we've got to get our development going, and we hope that we can align ourselves and get the things happening so that our players are developed. And Part of that is going to be the first few times that we do get a player promoted and move to a professional team across the sea or wherever it is, that's going to start making headlines. And once players see that, hey, I can go here and I can actually get recognized and moved on, the floodgates are going to start happening and we're going to get more and more of those players coming in. The coaches are going to be coming to us for the same reason because they're going to get the recognition. So it's the snowball effect as it goes along. Do you see scenarios where maybe uh, the the North, you know, the North American Soccer League or USL Pro uh, might be clubs that might be uh, that come to you or uh, players uh, might want to try to get to those clubs rather than go overseas necessarily? Sure, um, and it's quite possible. So there will be the player that isn't quite ready, we'll call it for prime time, but is just at the cusp level, and maybe we do move them to an NASL or USL Pro 2, and the same scenario happens. We're still moving them at an area that is conducive to the player. We are, as we talked in the beginning and mentioned a few times, we're all about player development. So winning the league is important, but it's really the player development that's foremost in what we're trying to accomplish. We're on, this is the Yellow Carter Podcast. Stephen Brand is my co-host. I'm Keith Kokinda. We're talking with Dan Trainer, the commissioner of the new American Soccer League, which begins play in September. Uh, in no, August 23rd. Uh, August, August 23rd. Okay, coming coming up in a few weeks. Then, uh, you'll be kicking off your inaugural season. You mentioned the, the website. You can go If you want to go and a chance to promote the website, uh, Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you might be uh, on social media, now's your chance. Yeah, so um, definitely the website is aslsoccer.us, and from there you can get the information on the teams. You can sign up for being a player if you're looking for a team. You can, as your team, if you're looking for interest, that's a way to start it. Everything else is pretty visible on there, although it is in production now. It's, it's tweaking and changing every day, so keep coming back. I certainly wish I had the business acumen and uh, – and some money to maybe get in on this and bring a team out here to to Ohio. Uh, certainly, a lot of uh, got a number of teams out here, but nobody playing that fall winter schedule. Stephen, uh, anything else for Mr. Trainer? Do you do you see we're we're heading another week in this in this country after the World Cup? More fans flocking to having more leagues. I mean, is this is this going to ultimately? grow the love of the sport more? We, 
we hope it will. It's like any new venture, it's going to be a way of branching out. Um, after every World Cup, the participation in soccer at all levels increases. You, you look at the MLS and how much it has grown since 94 and, or 96, and it's just exponentially growing, and we feel the exact same thing is going to happen here. Once the fan base realizes that there is a way to get to pro players or pro teams in their neighborhood and be able to watch them, and hopefully from a youth who's wearing the same jersey all the way up through the pro, like a European league or club, that's what we're, we're buying for. What I don't know if you guys know this, but I mean, how how can people outside of your market watch your games or listen to your games? We are working on trying to. Well, every every game is going to be um, broadcast or at least recorded, and we're going to try to live stream as many of them as we possibly can, because each of them are their own entities. Uh, it is one of the requirements of the league that each game be at least filmed and, and recorded so that we can put it onto our website um, in highlights and the rest. We'll feature teams as they come along, and the, the more that we can get live streaming done and out there, it's obviously a very good thing to do, and that's what we're promoting and going to try to do for everybody. And where, where can we get a hold of Where can... Um Oh, I just completely had a train of thought. Well, Keith, do you have anything left? No, I think I'm. I think I'm set. It's a. It's a fascinating proposal. I'm certainly going to be uh, trying to follow along as much as I can to see how this goes. I certainly wish you, uh, you and uh, and all everybody else involved with the league all the best of success. Uh, I do hope Mr. Driver's meeting uh, today goes very well. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, certainly very promising for the league. So. I wish him all the best with that, and I wish you, uh, Mr. Trainer, all the best uh, in this new endeavor of the new American Soccer League. I appreciate your time and uh, the opportunity to promote us and, and get it out there. And through organizations like yours, we're going to continue doing that, and that's part of how we're, we're wanting to get the word out. And definitely appreciate your time. Well, I'm glad we could help you out in some small way. We, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. Uh, Dan Trainer, the... Commissioner of the uh, New American Soccer League, which will begin play on August 23rd, and run the traditional European calendar. Again, Mr. Trainer, thank you very much. We do appreciate you stopping by to talk to us on the Yellow Carter Podcast. Sure enough. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. All right. Well, that was a nice way to open the show there with a new venture in the game of soccer and uh, on a new schedule, too. That's going to be... I th- it's going to be interesting if they can pull this off. Boy, it's going to that could uh, this could be quite a change uh, as far as the soccer landscape is concerned, wouldn't you say, Stephen? You know, I I'm equivocal of this. I hope they can pull this off and it does well and all that. I just don't want more leagues to keep popping up because we have seen the World Cup and. We want and to have it fail. I don't want anything to fail in, well, anything. But I want the ASL to 
be great because there there is enough talent out there. I mean, for God's sakes, we've got American. It's like every day I, I read Brian Scarletta, uh, Scarletta's web, website and his SI com about another player, American abroad, and it's like I've never heard of this guy. I mean, at a certain point, I mean, Redding has got a couple players. I mean, Boca Juniors, for God's sake, have, I think, 12 in their youth systems. I mean, some of these yeah, players have got to start staying stateside. Yeah, the pool is there because we're seeing, as you said, when you mentioned Boca Juniors and other clubs, you know, coming into the United States and setting up shops in some fashion or another, yeah, talent's there. That's that's. I mean, you look at the Northeast, of course, where they're going to be based. Uh, yeah, a lot of kids coming out of college up there as well. And and on that subject, I found this very interesting. Paul Henson, the manager of Upward Stars in the MPSL, is going to be joining us in about six or seven minutes. But he put up an article I had seen earlier posted on Twitter from the Washington Post regarding a proposed change. Uh, to Division One NCAA soccer, uh, Sasha Sorovsky is the chair of the Division One uh, NCAA men's coaches committee, and he's got a proposal on the table with the help of MLS and U.S. soccer people to have Division One men's soccer be a full academic year sport from mid-September to late May. Now, the thing he mentions in this is to make the make college soccer more relevant number one, uh, and also to, to get to get more time, because you've got, basically, you've got a season that basically lasts less than four months the way it is right now. Uh, you do, uh, the, you're, it's an increase in team days of about a dozen. Uh, the schedule we broke it up much like the ASL he's talked about. Uh, so it, it's an interesting proposal. They want, they're targeting, they're hoping that maybe the year 2016-17 would be when they do, when they would do this, and uh, you know one of the things I, I find interesting in this uh, was how um, one of the consultants for U.S. Soccer, Kevin Payne, who used to be with Toronto FC as well as DC United, talks about how you know, in this country you know people uh, who have kids are more focused on getting kids to college uh, as a way uh, into the professional ranks. Uh, because the academy still level the system is still in its early stages here in this country, and uh, there's other people involved. This with uh, Jeff Agus is involved, Todd Durbin, uh, Oliver Luck, who's the uh, West Virginia University athletic director, uh, and was president of Houston Dynamo as well. Uh, it, it sounds great in theory, but. I, there's two things about this, and so they're both involving they're both involving the, the, the college sports landscape. Number one, I find it hard to believe that the NCAA right now, with everything they've got going on, is going to be spending a whole lot of time thinking about this. They've got lawsuits out there, like Ed O'Bannon's among others, threatening to bring down, so not bring down, but change, bring a huge fundamental, bulldoze the whole house and start all over from square one, change to the college sports landscape. Uh, I think that's going to get a little more focused for this proposal, personally. I, you know, I don't know about you, Stephen, but that's the way I see it. And the other thing is, it's also related to that, I've said this before, I honestly think in 10 years, you know, like 2025, when all this is done, 
all these lawsuits and all the court because if you if you read what I've read and Andy Staples of SI, although there's a great read on this, if you believe these writers who are covering the Ed O'Bannon trial, uh, to borrow a line from Dan Jenkins, smart money and all of his nephews are betting the over, meaning the NCAA is going to lose. And if mm-hmm. that does happen, if that happens, you know full well that the NCAA is going to appeal it. And they will appeal it all the way up to the nine people in the black robes in Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court. You know, I know, and everybody else on the planet knows that's what they're going to do because the, the fundamental, you know, you hear all this talk from Mark Emmert and all these other people about change, changing the model, changing things. Well, where was this talk before the lawsuit? Number one. Number two, why don't you start proposing something? And number three, we know the reasons why you don't. That's because the attitude is, this is the way we want. We this is the way we do it because this is the way we want it done. There is no other logical reason. I when you hear people from the, who have the t, who work on the TV contracts saying that when the networks bid to you know for these TV contracts, it's not the games. They said in court they are they pay for the exclusive access to the building. They actually said that. It has nothing to do with the players of the game because there are rights involved that some states have laws about, some states don't, in terms of securing players' likeness rights. And eventually, what I think is what I've said before is going to happen is the college sports, intercollegiate sports, is going to consist of pretty much three sports, football, men's basketball, women's basketball. That's going to be it as far as a full national intercollegiate sport the way we know it now. Everything else is going to be at best done on a smaller regional scale or, in many cases, all the smaller sports, things like rowing, golf, tennis, that sort of thing, are going to be done as club sports. And I'm afraid soccer is going to be one of those sports. I mean, they might have, because of the popularity game, they might have some chance to do it on a, re, on a smaller regional level in some fashion, but it's not going to be the way it is now, I promise you. You're going to see, I really think, you're going to see Ohio State with a men's soccer schedule of Denison, Ohio Dominican, Capital, Otterby, and Ohio Wesleyan. Maybe if they can raise enough money, maybe a trip to Akron or Cincinnati. That's, that's the way I see college soccer going. It's going to go the way most of the non-revenue sports go, which is to a very reduced varsity stand or with maybe half a dozen scholarships to spread out. Not that they've got a full scholarship for every player as it is right now, but you know, that or a, 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 a club-level sport. And since he's out of the line right now, uh, Paul Henson, the Upwood Stars manager, first of all, thank you for posting that article on Facebook that I've been talking about, number one. We'll get back to that in a second. But number two, want to congratulate you on the wonderful season Upwood Stars had in your first year in the MPSL. And since you had so much to do with it, we'll let you go ahead and take over and tell us about uh, the great success you had in your first year down there in, uh, in South Carolina. Huh. Well, thank, yeah, thanks very much, Keith. I appreciate those kind words. But uh, it's more about the players, really, than me. Anything I did, we prepare them, and then they, they take care of the business once we cross the white line. So went very, very yeah. well. We were, were blessed to have kids from, I think I told you before the season, from it all kinds of different countries and cultures, and it meshed really, they meshed very, very well as a body of people and uh, as players, and uh, we, we created a style of play that we wanted to, and, uh, and, and the results came. 
So uh, it was a great first season. We were seven and three. Uh, very, very competitive conference. Uh, could have, I think we clinched it on the penultimate game, but with a win at Discoveries FC. But uh, could have. <laughs> there was all kind of permutations as to who could have won it. Uh, even though we ended up winning it by seven points, um, it could have gone. You know, it could have gone either way. There were three or four teams out of five for sure that could have. Uh, that could have uh, won, won the whole conference. So very, very promising. It's a, it was a new conference. Only Myrtle Beach was an established club. Uh, so that bodes well moving forward because that's, you know, that's, that's what we want. We want competitive games, and uh, it, was, it was a great first season. Yes. When you, we talked to you at the beginning of the season, you did say you had very little doubt that you had the talent base there uh, down in that, with that region uh, to put together a good side. Uh, what was the big key as far as it coming together so quickly? Because I saw some of your early results, and there were some smashing results we had at the start of the season, which obviously had to be a big factor in the success yeah. you had toward the end of it, being able to win your division. It's true. I mean, we won, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at our record, and we could potentially have been 9-1 and one because two of the, one of the games we played real poorly and deserved to be beaten. But the other two were close, and they were one nil defeats. But when you look over the course of the season, they tend to even out. And we had uh, three one-goal victories in the first out of the first four games. And obviously, that they can go either way. But it was we started off very well at Bob Jones University against the Carolina Railhawks. I think we took them a little bit by surprise, uh, and uh, we played well, and we, we deserved to win one nil. And uh, then we had a two-one victory at Discoveries at uh, home to Discoveries, and and it went on that way. So, yeah, we got a couple of narrow victories early on, and uh, that stood us in good stead. We were always at uh, the, the top of the league and, um, you know, never looked back, really. Yeah, and another thing you mentioned is that you had a new division, and except for Myrtle Beach, all new teams. Uh, how did that change your approach in terms of putting it together as a team? Did it make you focus more like, okay, they're all the same, but we're ours, so I'm just going to worry about how we're doing and not really worry about can I compete with these other guys? Yeah, I mean, it's a 10-week season, so really we, we didn't set any, any goals until we'd seen everybody play. Uh, we'd, I'd, I'd had the, the, you know, the ability to watch the Myrtle Beach play Jacksonville before our team got together, so we kind of had an idea of the level, and we kind of had an idea of what, who our playing players were and, and what they could bring and what uh, limitations we may have as, and which, what strength. And so, uh, really, we just looked to uh, particularly the first five games, you know, first, first four games, I should say, when we, had, we, we were playing against the team. We just kind of concentrated on, on, on ourselves, figured out our system, figured out our shape with and without the ball, and we went and played that style. And then we made slight adjustments as we uh, as, as, as we got to know the, the teams that we were playing against. Because realistically, don't have a lot of time in that short season to go scout teams when you just kind of learn by playing against them first time around. So well, uh, upward upward start for people who might not realize upward stars FC uh, is part of the Upward Sports uh, Organization, which is America's largest Christian-based youth sports organization and it's rather unique in American sports it's uh, uh, there have been some there have been some clubs uh, that have started that have sprung out of youth clubs but to the best of my knowledge it's the first time a national organization has started 
a professional level team. This would be like if the AAU basketball people suddenly put a franchise into the NBA D League or Little League Baseball decide we're going to put a club into the Northern League or the Independent uh, Minor Baseball League. So it's a very unique setup. But one of the things Uncle has been doing, it started with volleyball, but you're branching out to soccer as far as building a facility to have an academy, which at, at that level is pretty rare. And you know, I was talking about the article you post for the Washington Post regarding college soccer. Uh, even at your level, do you see uh, having some form of an academy set up uh, as a good something uh, that other clubs, even at the MPSL level, could benefit from? Well, our, our, our the centre that we're building is is really uh, it, it's not for an academy per se. We'll run academy programs, but I think we talked about this before the last time I was on the show. Academy is the most misused word in the in the soccer dictionary. Uh, academy <laughs> academy could mean I mean to me an academy is a professional academy that takes the kids from very young eight, nine, ten, whatever, all the way through to preparing them for the professional team. That's an academy. Uh, we've, we've kind of now taken it to uh, the, some clubs are called academies. Anything that's got any kind of development type of component to it has become an academy. Uh, so we need to clarify what we mean by academy. So in my sense of the that's word... That's a good point, right? Yeah, in, in, in my kind of definition of what an academy is, yeah. taking them from 9 through 16 or 18... We don't have that yet, uh, and, you know, we're doing it the other way around. And if you want to build, build things backwards, why not do it with a guy from England, eh? That makes perfect sense. So that's what they did. That's why they brought me in. So we started off with a team at the top level, and we'll drop the youth club in underneath, hopefully. But in the short term, the facilities built uh, will be done uh, in September. So, uh, the opening, grand, grand opening is September 27th, so the Star Centre. Uh, and if you uh, and what we'll have there is basketball, volleyball. There'll be soccer programming too, and it'll be you know open to the public, open to church partners, open to local clubs, uh, and we'll develop uh, programming out from there. Because as you mentioned, Upland is you know biggest Christian sports organisation in the states. We have over half a million kids, and this really is an opportunity for us to try out programming. And once we know what's successful and what works, then we can kind of replicate test it out in this market using that facility and with local people and then and programming and then and then try and build it out and uh, and, and replicate it over uh, over course of, in, in different states and different areas and overseas hopefully too one day. Yeah, because uh, like you said, you know, the def- your definition of academy is obviously like this with what we're seeing here in the States, but I, you know, even with what you're doing there, uh, I think it is something the, the lower-level clubs uh, can hopefully learn from because that, you, you heard part of what I say. I, I just, knowing what I know about the NCAA and knowing how things work, I'm just not sure that getting going to college is a way to get to a professional soccer team is going to be a really viable option about 10 years because the, the massive changes are coming to the NCAA. And soccer, I think, is going to be is going to be affected by these changes. You know, the proposal that's there in the Washington Post, I really like the idea. I think it's a great yeah. thing for, for yeah. developing players who go to college because, as it says, they don't get a whole lot of time. And it's all compressed into one little three-and-a-half-month period. Yeah. It would be great to have them spend more time both in the fall and in the spring, because that's another disadvantage that soccer has at the high school and college levels, 
is the weather, especially north, it's the weather factor. The weather gets worse as the season goes on. It'd be nice to play some. You play the NCAA championship game in November, places like Philadelphia and Columbus. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. I've, I've cool. been there. I've been to Columbus uh, for championship games in high school. It's not fun, and so no. you know, I think even on what you're doing, and, and that kind of setup, it would be good for the uh, for the smaller clubs, whether it be the MPSL or the USL Pro. I think that uh, we should we should be filled with optimism after the World Cup because if you look at Germany and they won it, that was a te- that was a culmination of a ten year project. In two thousand and four, they had some adverse results against uh, some nations they expected to beat. I won't mention their names, but it could have been England. And uh, and, and the guy that, that restructured that was was Klinsmann. So that's got to fill us with great hope that he's in charge and he's at the helm right now. And, and we've got to have patience. He's, I can't remember exactly how long he's been, but he's three or four years at least into the job, I think. So we, yeah, you know he's doing it. And, and one, of the things that he's, one of the things that's happened, it was pre-cleansement too, is this recognition uh, that there needs to be year-round play. And so that's what they're doing in the development academies. So it's year-round play, and there's criticism there about high school, not high school, and all that kind of stuff. But at, at that top level, at that age group, when we're beyond multiple sports, which is advantageous up to a certain age, and we can disagree on, on what that age is, beyond that, when you specialize, then you need to do it year-round. And that's what they're doing. But one of the limitations of the development academies is America is a big place. If there's only two, two uh, development academies in each state, that translates to a lot of traveling. And if you look at, uh, you know, the 10,000-hour rule, if you want to be great at anything, you've got to practice 10,000 hours. It's tough to do that when you're spending 20,000 hours traveling. Yeah. And that's something we talk about on the show a lot, the, the, the travel club set up in this country and how it's a little bit, it's a bit of a problem in terms of not just the time factor, but also in the finding of talent and some of the talent that gets left out. Uh, yeah. you know, and obviously these are kind of the kind of kids that try to go for the college scholarship uh, yeah. because they can't necessarily. I mean, I've read stories of people saying, oh, yeah, I can I qualify for that to that club, but because of the expense, we can't afford it, we can't join that. Because uh, you, you, you look at the you look at the, 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 the U.S. national team, the only player you can really point to is somebody coming out of what might be considered an economically disadvantaged background would be Clint Dempsey. You know, it yeah. really, you know, race really isn't a factor, excluding the German board players. But you look at a, a Demarcus Beasley feeling like they're coming out of that suburban middle class environment, just like all the other kids are. And that's why, you know, with the the more clubs that have something to, in terms of player development is better because you do because that college system is still in place here. It's going, it's still going to be there for a while. Like I said, I. I don't foresee these changes coming for another 10 years because I don't have court cases that take so long in this country. But this, you, people still see that as, as, the, as the vehicle, but it is still kind of limited uh, because of the, the, the time factor involved. And it's, you know, to be able to play year-round close to home, especially when you don't have to leave, that's, that's the big mm. thing. Because you look at the individual sport like golf and tennis, People have to uproot the entire family to go move a thousand miles away or something. You know, tennis players you hear go down to to the, the IMG Academy with Nick Bolateri. That's something for a team sports perspective is not is not is rare here in the United States. And you know, mm-hmm. England obviously it's done, but it, obviously it's a much smaller country. Uh, it's not it's not as 
it's not a huge difference in terms of, of moving, especially uh, especially because you have so many local clubs. It probably doesn't happen often anyway, right? Yeah. And I, think, I mean, and that, that, the thing is, I think we talked about this before, is by the time the guys are getting into college, uh, that's when you should be sharpening uh, the talents and, and, and focusing it because – Obviously, you know, we have a 360 progression at Upward which speaks about mental, athletic, social, and spiritual aspects of sport. And they can be different things to different people. And some of those guys, a small, small percentage, are going to be Clint Dempsey's and they're going to be professional players. So, you know, if you look at the college system and say, is that set up to, to hone and develop professional players? You know, so objectively, you'd have to say, no, it's not to dilute the talent. So you look at how many schools there are and, and, and scholarship opportunities. I mean, you know, there's only there's a finite amount of scholarship opportunities. So by very definition, you need to dilute the talent. You can't all go to the same place. If you're all great players, you're not going to all get scholarships. Versus yeah, and that's something Claudio Reyna has talked about, too, that that, that 8 to 16-year-old age range is where the, best, the, the most development takes place. And the thing, and, and so the thing too is, and, and uh, is what we need to look at is we need to look at how unique America is in American sports. If you look at the sports that America dominates in, which is basketball and football, I don't know a lot about either one, but I know even less about baseball, so I'm going to steer away from that. But basketball and football, Division One schools rule the roost. There's a revenue generating component to those schools. So that's where the players come from. They go in and very rarely, I mean, I know it's becoming a little bit more because of all the money that's involved in it, but very rarely do people not come through the school system. So that's work. So they get in at 18, 19, and they play three or four years, and off you go. That's not the case in soccer, and soccer is not an American sport. It's the world sport, and so we're kind of at odds. That model of developing players is uniquely American through colleges. It doesn't happen anywhere else. You know, they're not doing that in Spain. They're not doing it in Italy. They're not doing it in England or Germany. That's not what happens. And all the talent gets uh, concentrated in Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, all these places, all the Manchester clubs and all this stuff. And so all the best players are getting pulled together and, and, and sharpening and, 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 and growing. And, you know, that's... We've got to somehow get towards that, that model. Oops. Still there? Still got me? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think, I think Keith dropped. Let me... Keith's gone? He's falling asleep. Uh, let me... <laughs> Keith's falling asleep. Oh, but... Well, what have you what have you seen what have you seen from the American players that you've been able to see that you have been impressed by? I'm sorry, say that again. It's, it wasn't a very good line. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, do you hear me? I hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, good. So I thought I heard something. Good. So, from your view of seeing, seeing the American players, what what have you? What have you been impressed by? Because we, we care about all the shortcomings. What, what have you been impressed by by the American players? Well, I think, you know, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the um, cliches, are, uh, you know, are applicable, unfortunately. We're very, very organized, very athletic, and uh, maybe don't have some of the uh, flair and, and, and individual 
talent to, to, to kind of take that next step forward. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, they defended very stoutly. They took a great, great shape. And, you know, they did very, very well. I think that there's, you know, there's some talent coming through. And uh, and we got to trust in that. And I think that Klinsman did that a little bit. And uh, the, the, the boy coming out from German Academy came in and was a game changer. And I think that that kind of speaks to what we're talking about. There was two. There was there was two uh, two things that really, you know, in the Belgian game that really separated. And, and and I think would like to to kind of point to what could be effective in the states is one. The boy who came out of Germany, who scored a wonderful goal coming off the bench. Uh, it shows, okay, maybe we need to kind of look, should we be looking at that kind of model, bringing the kids through at a younger age? And the other one, that the, the boys that, that hurt uh, the States was Lukaku coming in off the bench. And there's certainly no shortage of, I mean, he happened to be a black guy, but there's no shortage of African-American guy. There's no shortage of big, strong, athletic players who we're missing out on from different demographics, and I think that's what Keith was talking about. There's no shortage of those in the States. And if we can find a way to integrate, you know, and, 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 and accommodate that demographic in terms of, uh, you know, social economic group and geographic group, then, uh, then we have a great opportunity because there's a, a bunch of big, strong athletes in, in, in the States that go to other sports Clearly, there's a lot more money uh, for most of the professionals in things like basic, uh, basketball and uh, and football. So there are two things that I really that came, I came away from the American the American game when we were limited uh, eliminated uh, coming out from there. No, I see. I think I see Keith's back online. Do I? Do I see you, Keith? No, Keith. Keith, I didn't know. Oh well, I'll just lead you to the top now. Uh, what what do, what do Americans have to do coaching wise? You're obviously coaching here to improve the next level of talent. I mean, I, I'm I'm just a soccer journal, football journalist, but what, what yeah. do we have to where do we have to start with getting this getting our players to where the soccer fans want us to be the next round or Going well, I don't, yeah, I, 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 and I think uh, I think the coaching, the, the level of coaching, and the coaching structure in the states is phenomenal. Uh, the, there's more there's more qualified coaches in Spain than any other country per capita, but the U.S. is up there and is growing. And the level of coaching courses that are being run by the NSCAA and the USSF are just phenomenal. And uh, there's a lot of very, very qualified uh, coaches. Of course, we're a very coach-centric society. Uh, the coach is highly valued in basketball, you know, football. They call all the plays. You know, I don't call the majority of the plays and, and have much greater influence than, than in soccer in some ways. So I don't think it's that. I think there's a consensus of opinion. Uh, Rainier, Carly Rainier has brought it together in terms of this is curriculum. we we're moving in the same, same direction. We've got a style of play, which is going to be a 4-3-3, open, attacking type, offensive uh, method of play and, and getting people behind, behind him supporting that and getting people all on the same page. So I don't think it's that. I think it's overcoming some of these issues that we talked about, longevity of season, the dilution of talent, 
uh, integrating, you know, different socioeconomic groups because of the cost that's involved in it and the time and the travel. I think that that's the answer more than looking to the coach and saying, oh, okay, what do we need to do to do that to get the next Pep Guardiola? There's a bunch of great coaches in America uh, at all levels, whether that's a, a local travel team all the way through to the MLS teams and beyond. Well, I, yeah, which is a good thing because we have pocket we have pockets because we're such a big country of soccer talent. I mean, you're you're in South Carolina. I know I know some people down there that play in some of the travel travel teams down there that have have had a lot of fun. I mean, are are we just are we a young soccer nation that we're expecting too much right now? Uh, no, I think the expectations are, are, are measured. I think that America, you know, is a country that that looks looks to to want to be number one. We, you know, is the greatest country in the world uh, where we can come live and be free. And, and and for sure, we have high expectations, and they should be there. Uh, I, I I think the you know I think that. It needs to be. It needs to be measured. I mean, when you look, I mean, you, you look around the national teams uh, who are in the final stages of the World Cup, and you look at the the uh, Colombia with the Hammers and the Messi's and the Ronaldo's. Although they didn't, Ronaldo didn't make the, uh, the those stages, and you know the the breadth of talent uh, that's there, and we don't have that. So there has to be a, a reality check and a, real, a realism. But uh, you know. There's enough players out there, and a lot of good coaching going on. That maybe one of these days we will, and they and they're the game changers too. You know, I mean, you add a Messi into the U.S. structure, uh, an organization, and, and collective uh, co- collective approach to the game, make a big difference. But you know, first we've got to get a Messi. Easier said than done. Yeah, we got to find our American Messi. Paul, I want to thank you for being on here. I'm going to end this show a little quickly because I don't have Keith. Um, where can we find Where can we find Upward Stars online? So uh, Upward Stars Upstate dot org. You can find us at Upward Stars SC on Facebook. Uh, on the NPSL dot info site, you can find all about the Upward Stars team and. Uh, Starcenter.com or .org, I think, is also uh, uh, if you the Star Center in Spartanburg, you can Google that and find that. There's all kinds of information there about that facility, and it's open to the public, as I say, uh, in September. So that's an exciting time. So all those locations. All right, back. Thank by you for the being... way. <laughs> oh, you're back. Uh, that's like the point of... Yeah, my phone. That's like the point my, of God I, I, there. I went to put my. Yeah, I put my phone on mute, and I tried to get it back, and I ended up disconnecting myself for some reason, so I apologize. But uh, uh, Paul Henson of Upward Stars FC, the manager, thank you very much for taking the time to come back on the show. Congratulations on a tremendously uh, successful first season for your club in the NPSL. We wish you uh, nothing but more success in the future, both for the club as well as the entire Upward Sports organization. Uh, make, I want to make sure uh get a shout-out to Kaz McCaslin, the head of Upward Sports, uh, who uh, oversees the whole thing. Uh, he has uh, helped us uh, get in touch with you uh, to get these uh, both these interviews set up. I want to make sure I mention him as well. I've uh, had my son in the Upward Sports program for a number of years now, and I've loved it, and I recommend it to anybody I know who's getting their kid into youth sports for the first time. I think it's a great, especially for 
kids just getting into sports for the first time uh, from a, a sports and a spiritual perspective, I think it's a, a great way to get started in the youth sports program. And uh, uh, so we have Paul Henson, uh, Upward Stars of C-Manager. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on the show with us again. No problems, and uh, maybe next season we'll be having a conversation about radio championships and things like that. God willing. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and I'll make sure, and, I'll, and thank you. I also thank you for the shirt and the scarf. I'll make sure we're both close to my next Columbus Crew game. There you go. Excellent. All right. All the very best. Thanks very much, Thank guys. you very, very much, Paul. We appreciate Bless. it. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. So sorry about that. Sorry about my technical follow-up there, Stephen. <laughs> I am completely hit the wrong buttons there. <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting here while you're talking. I'll give you guys a little bit of FYI. When, when Keith starts going on his long-form questions, I start reading for columns I'm writing. So all of a sudden I start hearing, <laughs> I start hearing the guest not going, hello, I'm like, oh, crap. Because I, I'm playing, I got, I got carried for an article for something, and I'm going, oh damn it! I've got to pay attention to my own show now. Keith's not here. <laughs> Keith's not here. I'm like, damn, damn, damn! I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, I got, I got to recover right here because at least what an, I unintent- an unintentional curveball, but <laughs> got your hey. attention, didn't it? Yeah. Hey, as I have said, as, as I have said about you, you have more K's on you than most than most Royals pitchers for the last 20 years, so. And then, well, hey, yeah, well, you got to split with us over the weekend, so uh, that's not too bad. Yeah. No, yeah, that's not. Hey, as long as we make it to the playoffs this year, I can be, I can be happy. I I didn't get to see them win in Boston when I was there two, two weeks because yeah. Boston decided to hit for once. <laughs> oh, they decided to hit for once. Oh, God. Well. Anyway, next yeah, week we're I don't have think another... the are, Yeah, I don't think the Indians are much of a threat for the postseason unless uh, something changes in the pitching staff pretty quickly. <laughs> Good. Well, next week is going to be an interesting show because I, I want to. I want to pretty two questions in the um, in soccer. One is this whole thing that Jason Davis and Mark Frischkin were talking about the whole. Arsenal losing, Arsenal losing the New York Red Bull, and that they just a friendly, and then Man United bulldozing LA, LA Galaxy, and the EPL is the greatest thing since sliced bread, type of thing. Well, Man I, United I is great. I don't put for Man United. I put very little stock in that Galaxy game, especially because in the last thirty minutes, LA Galaxy folded the tents and left town. You know, they were they were halfway down the Santa Monica freeway by the time that final whistle blew. So I put very little stock in that result at all. The Champions Cup tells me a little bit more about what's going on, but that that Man U uh, against LA Galaxy, you know, just a chance to get the season started and show off, and show off the new kits. That's all that was. And and also next week I'm going to pick Keith's, pick Keith's mind about the other side of the other side of the Celtic Rangers thing, and what really happened on the on the Rangers side? I have the Celtic side of it. A lot of things are happening on the Rangers side, and none of them are pretty. Yeah. Well, at least we've got an hour, hour, hour and a half to talk about this time. Stephen Brandt and Keith Kokinda, Yellow Carded Podcast. Talk to us this week. I am Yellow Carded SDB. 
Use Keith Kokinda, and we'll talk to you later.